0: on local now channel 525
1: the bible says that like lazarus was dead d-e-a-d dead we are dead in our sins and dead in our sin there's nothing we can do that means we would never be good enough on our own to do anything to earn god's favor to earn or deserve an opportunity to go to heaven we are dead What can a dead man do? That's not a hard question. Nothing. Had a little daddy-daughter date on Friday after school and went to Bush Gardens. And there at Bush Gardens with my, my little girl, it's kind of interesting. It makes me be more observant because I want her to see through all her other senses what she cannot see with her eyes. So as we walked by them the first time, and yes, we walked about 900 miles on that day, As we walked by the first time, the alligators, I was explaining the alligators to her. When we came by another time, she said, Dad, what would it be like if the alligators ate me? I said, what do you mean? She said, how would it sound when I talked? I said, you would not be able to talk if they ate you. She said, would it be dark? I said, it wouldn't matter if it's dark because you would be dead. You could do nothing. And then my six-year-old daughter said this. "What Jonah talked. And I said, well, that was a whale, not an alligator. <laughs> Again, Jesus is reminding us that death is a real and an inevitable part of life. And then he's given his disciples an opportunity to see their faith grow even more. And I love how this section I just read ends. We see Thomas. Thomas. Now, most of you think of Thomas in Scripture, and you call him Doubting Thomas. He's not really doubting here, but he is kind of Eeyore. You know who Eeyore is, right, from Winnie the Pooh? Not much of a tail for not much of a donkey. I mean, he's always pessimistic. He always sees the worst. And so you could call this pessimistic courage that Thomas has here. Jesus has said, no, he's not sleeping, he's dead, and we've got to go, come on. And so Thomas says, all right, well, let's go with him and we can die too. I love the word of God. We just see the reality of humanity. So look at verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And what we think is that Jesus on the first day had heard that he was ill. They wanted him to come on that day. Jesus died. So they buried him instantly as was the custom. Jesus stayed two days and then it was about a day journey. So by the time he gets there, it's the fourth day that he has been in the tomb. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. Of course she did. Because Martha was always asking, what can I do? How can I fix this? What do I need to accomplish? Meanwhile, Mary remained seated at the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God God will give you. And Jesus said to her, "Your brother will rise again." Martha said to him, "I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day." Why how did she know? She didn't fully understand the resurrection of Jesus. Perhaps there was some element of faith. We know already that they were good friends. Perhaps Jesus had been teaching her. But what we did know that many of the Jews who were familiar with the Old Testament would believe in some kind of resurrection from the dead. They had come to the place where they realized this was not all there is. There's something in the afterlife. But what I want you to focus on is her frustration with Jesus. Because remember I ask you if you have ever been frustrated with God. I don't think you can read that passage without hearing it the way she would have said it. If, shaking her head, snapping her fingers, if you would have been here, this would not have happened. If. We all have if moments, right? If this had happened or if that had happened, if I would have said yes or if I would have said no, if I would have done this or if I would have done that, the if moments, but this if was aimed directly at Jesus. If you had done what I ask you to do. Hey, last week I told you God's not intimidated by your questions. Can I tell you something else? He's a big boy. He's not intimidated by your frustration. Bring it on. That's what the psalmist teach us it's okay to express it to God when you don't understand what he's up to. In fact, I think he invites that because when we express our frustrations, we give him an opportunity to illustrate truth. And the truth is, God was at work in Lazarus' life for a greater good. What did Jesus tell us was the greater good? Remember the main phrase we've been repeating? For the glory of God. We have to remember, God's design is always greater than our desire. It's okay to have your desires. In fact, Scripture says when you commit your ways to the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart. But the context of that is the understanding when I'm committing my way to the Lord, what I'm saying is, God, I want your way. I want everything you want of me. I want your glory. And when I want that, that's what he wants too. So my desire becomes his desire. Before I move on, I would just tell you we all have to answer that if question. What if all this is true? That's our theme for Easter. And you know folks that are in your little circle of the world that have that question, what if? I want you to even right now begin to think about who has God placed around you that you could invite to be a part of our Easter weekend services so that they can hear the answer to the question along with you, what if? Look at verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am. So Jesus has these I am statements, just like John records seven miracles. This is the last of the miracles. This is one of Jesus's I am statements. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ the son of God who is coming into the world so jesus asked three questions look at the three or, or, or he gives us three truths look at the three truths i am the resurrection and the life say that i am the resurrection and the life <laughs> you say it after me i am the resurrection and the life Notice the second truth. He says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And the third truth, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He gives her three truths. And then he asks one question. What's the question? Do you believe this? And then we learn something very important. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. You can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Occasionally I come across folks and I begin to talk about their faith journey. And they say something like this. Yeah, I've always been a Christian. And I have to say, and I try to do it in the nicest way possible. No, you haven't. That's not the way it works. That's like saying, I've always been a human. No, you weren't. You weren't born. That's one of the many questions I get asked all the time by our daughter. Where where was I when when you were in South Carolina? You weren't born. Where was I when, when you were in Florida before? You weren't born where was I when you lived in Alabama? You were not born. You can't say that you've always been a follower of Christ because that's not the way it works. Jesus said, you have to be born again. And the way that born again experience is lived out is through a practical confession of your faith in God. We call it a profession of our faith. That's what Barbara, who was recently baptized, experienced when Pastor Zach asked her, do you believe this? Have you done this? And she said, yes. So we see that profession in this passage of scripture. Look at it again. Yes, Lord. Say yes, Lord. Lord. There has to be at a time in your life where you say, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the son of God who's coming into the world. Do you believe this? So again, we walk 900 miles at Bush Gardens, and there's an interesting thing that takes place because my daughter cannot see if she finds out someone's in her proximity and in conversation, she is going to enter the conversation. And it usually begins like this: "Hello, what's your name?" That happened many times at Bush Gardens. And one of the times, it went like this. Hello, what's your name? The person said their name. And she said, hi, I'm Anaya. Do you know Jesus? She really does always ask that. She asked, do you know Jesus? I really wasn't anticipating that at Bush Gardens, however. I'm a pastor. Don't I get a day off? And so there she is. (laughs) Do you know Jesus? And the person said, well, yes, I do. And she said, great, you should come to Mission Hill Church. And I thought, wow, you know, you really don't have to be a theologian, a Bible scholar to understand that you can encourage other people to have confession and profession in Jesus Christ. Again, I want to challenge you. There's no easier time in the yearly calendar than the weeks around Easter. For you to look at people in your little corner of the world and say, hello, you know Jesus? Or however you want to begin that conversation. Look at verse 32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, we always see Martha running around like a chicken with her head cut off. And we always see Mary where? At the feet of Jesus in worship. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In this case, I don't think it's as much frustration as it is fact. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. It's a word that literally means he was anger. He was frustrated. There was, it, it welled up within him in his spirit and he was greatly troubled. And he said to them, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Then verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, describes the emotion of God. Jesus wept. Perhaps he wept seeing how Mary and Martha were grieving. Perhaps he wept hearing the laments of the people that were in that period of mourning with them. Perhaps he simply wept because his friend had died. And people noticed. They always do when you show love. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Everybody around Jesus is trying to figure out what's going on in this moment. Mary and Martha are are thinking, why didn't he come? The disciples are thinking, what's he going to do? The Jews are thinking, why didn't he heal this one? Like he healed the other. Look at verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. That sounds familiar. Where are we going to see that familiar grave setting? The death of Jesus. And Jesus said, take away the stone." And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor, for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? In our world, we think if I see it, I'll believe it. But in God's paradigm, he says, if you believe it, you will see it. Did I not tell you if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes. And then we see a pattern in prayer. By the way, I don't have time to teach you what Jesus was teaching us about prayer, but he says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew you always hear me. And I said this on the count of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. So when we pray, we begin by saying, God, I know you already know what I'm about to say. I thank you because you are going to answer what I'm going to pray for. And I ask that you would be glorified in the way in which I pray. Verse 43, it says, when he had heard these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Literally get out of there. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound up with linen strips because that's what they would have done when he was buried. They would have put a burial cloth around him, a burial napkin around his head. His face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. There you have it. The seventh miracle recorded by John, the greatest miracle yet of Jesus the Christ. The third resurrection that Jesus performed. And what can we learn? Well, first, I want you to see Jesus doesn't waste his miracle working power. Did
0: you you pick up on that?
1: He could have said, stone, move. Cloths, get off of him. But no, he had people move the stones, and he asked others to unwrap the cloths from around Lazarus. Sometimes God wants us to experience what man can do. And when we pray for God's miracles, it's okay to pray that. I got a call late Friday while at Bush Gardens about a, a dear member of our church in the hospital. And so I ran home and I showered because we had walked 900 miles. <laughs> and I ran up to the hospital late. And as we sat there in the hospital room praying, we prayed for God's miraculous healing. But I always pray, God, by whatever means you choose to do that. If you want to do that through the healing practices that you've allowed us to learn, the medication that you've allowed us to gain. You do that, but we just ask that you heal. Jesus is not going to waste his miraculous power. He wants us to do everything that we can do. What a story. What can we take home? Let me give you a few things and then we'll pray. First of all, God's delays are not always God's denials. Lazarus rose. You've got to get to the point in life where you understand that God will always answer your prayer. Sometimes he'll say yes. Sometimes he'll say no. And sometimes he just says wait. And we've got to learn to trust God and discern that he is at work and he's always working for our good and his glory. That is a key principle in the Christian life. God is at work. For your good and his glory. Remember. Your best desire. May not be his greatest design. Not only was God glorified that moment. By what he did in Lazarus life. I have a feeling. For the rest of his earthly life. Lazarus was able to give Jesus. A lot of glory. And sometime. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God equips you with ways to point others to him you never had. Hmm. God's always looking for opportunities to be glorified in your life, even through your pain. Remember, if we're asking, it, is my life glorifying Jesus? One of the sub-questions we have to ask is, What brings God the greatest glory? I want to pray that way in my life. I don't always do it. I want to. God, this is my desire. But if if something else brings you the greatest glory, just help me be able to walk through that. Help me to understand that your desire is that my life glorify you. Next, I want you to know God really does feel your pain Why do we have that verse in Scripture, Jesus wept? Well, for one reason, it's so that all of us, even those that have the worst memories, can memorize a verse. I mean, two words, Jesus wept. And in those two words, we see that God empathizes with us. He knows how we feel. He feels with us. He was not just weeping for them. He was weeping with them. He was deeply moved. God not only knows what you're going through, I I want you to know for some of you today that are in the valley, God is hurting with you. And then last, I want you to see that the greatest miracle God ever does is to offer us a life that death cannot defeat. What's the greatest miracle in this story? Is it when Jesus resurrected Lazarus? Or was it when his sister professed that she believed in the resurrection? You see, everything in this story points to something that relates to us. The Bible says that like Lazarus was dead, D-E-A-D, dead. Dead. We are dead in our sins. And dead in our sin, there's nothing we can do. That means we would never be good enough on our own to do anything to earn God's favor, to earn His forgiveness, to earn or deserve an opportunity to go to heaven. We are dead. But because of the resurrection of Jesus, we too have the opportunity to be raised to life. And as we are raised to life, God gives us a challenge We are called to go forth unbound by the grave clothes and make a difference in this world for his glory. When Jesus raises you to new life in him as a follower of Christ, he then says, take off the grave clothes. Take off those things that are binding you and go forth for my glory. But I want you to see one verse. Look at verse 53 at the end of this chapter. So from that day, they made plans to put him to death. See, this miracle was the beginning of the end, at least in the eyes of the Jews. They'd had it. They weren't going to take it anymore. In fact, if you read this passage, they also threatened to stone Lazarus. (laughs) Imagine how he must have felt. Wait a second, guys. I just got back. Here's the point. You can't encounter the miracle-working power of Jesus and walk away undecided. My dad's my hero. We're going through transitions in his life because on this side of heaven, right, life fades. So that relationship is changing. But I remember early days in ministry. We'd call each other after the Sunday service, and we'd talk about attendance. And one of us might say this. I might say to him, were there any decisions today? And he said, yeah. A couple of people decided to trust Christ, but a lot of people decided to do nothing. See, what he was saying was you, you can't go through life encountering Jesus and all that he offers and walk away undecided. You're either deciding to come alongside Him or you're deciding to go through life your way. You either choose Him as Lord and Savior or you crucify Him like the Jews as a criminal on the cross. The question we have to ask today is, is my life bringing glory to God? Is Jesus glorified in and through me? Maybe it's just this question.
0: Do I...